0: So, Baijong and the Fox has something to do with causation. And um, I understand from people who know these things <laughs> that this, when people study koans, this is usually the last one studied. So, it you know, it's a little bit backwards for me to be offering this as the first koan I've ever taught. <laughs> but. You know, that's the way it happens sometimes. (laughs) I think it's particularly important right now to focus on causation as we examine the themes of ethics and responsibilities right now. Our social crises, our environmental crises. Uh, we, We have some antidote in the deep Buddhist teachings about causation for the trials that we are experiencing worldwide right now. So this Fox Koan, I'll tell you the story in just a moment, but I want to first talk about storytelling itself. Storytelling and story listening. I would bet that each and every one of us would be able to name a story that You may have read to children in your life or that you may have heard as a young person stories that teach responsibilities that teach values that teach ethics i'm thinking right now of a story called the giving tree people probably read that to children in their family or dr seuss is very famous for some of the values installation for example, in the story called The Zax, where there's a north-going Zax and a south-going Zax and they get stopped in their tracks because they become positional and they don't budge. <laughs> it's a very good story. Or another Dr. Seuss that is Horton Hears a Who, in which um, the elephant named Horton hears this tiny voice and it reinforces that um, every voice matters For example, probably we have all heard stories about ethics and responsibility in whichever faith tradition in which you grew up. Or um, myself as an old high school teacher, whatever is in the high school literature courses of your area is probably something that your culture wanted to instill in you as values. High school is a traditional time when the uh, values literature is taught. So all over the world, we have these now as cultural points of reference that we hold in common. And we probably also have um, family reference points. For example, some cute thing that a toddler said becomes family vocabulary and just everybody in the family somehow knows what that means. Um, And it becomes unique to the culture of that family. Or if I were to say for you, for example, uh, the blind man and the elephant, there's an understanding of what I'm saying without having to tell you the whole story, right? And I bet we all have the experience of telling a joke and having a joke fall flat and then trying to explain the joke and by the time you're finished explaining it it's not funny anymore right we've all had that experience so the explanation and kind of getting into the concepts actually kind of flatten the richness of the story itself so i would like you to listen to the story tonight with that in mind then I'm using words, of course, I'm using words that are filled with meaning that are filled with nuance that are filled with ideas with constructs, for example, and I'm using these words to nudge us to push us beyond imputation uh, beyond constructs beyond conceptual inquiry. And um, You know, there is probably a um, punishment lurking out there for me that I would be trying to explain this koan at all. So I'm going to um, divert being the recipient of that punishment and I'm going to let you know that this fox is telling the story. As with all good literature, there are many layers to this story. So I'm reading out of a book called *The Book of Serenity*, and you can tell by the cover that there's a joke on the front cover. There's a sutra written in kanji on a big old ink blot saying, "Serenity." Yeah, sure. <laughs> Alright, so here we go. Bai Zhang's Fox. When Bai Zhang lectured in the hall, there was always an old man who listened to the teaching and then dispersed with the crowd. One day, he didn't leave. Bai Zhang then asked him, who is standing there? The old man said, in antiquity, in the time of the ancient Buddha, I lived on this mountain. And the student asked, does a greatly cultivated person still fall into cause and effect or not? I answered him. They do not fall into cause and effect. Immediately I fell into a wild fox body for 500 lives. Now I asked the teacher to turn a word on my behalf. Bai Zhang said, they're not blind to cause and effect. And the old man was greatly enlightened at these words. So without ruining the story for you, let me just highlight the lines there that are very important. This is the fox speaking. The old man said he does not fall into cause and effect. And Bai Zhang turned it just a little bit and said, he's not blind to cause and effect. Ever so slight difference. And this somehow liberated the old man from the pain he had been experiencing. So you should know that in the culture of that place in that time, a fox was um, considered to be unattractive um, You know, this was a denigration to be turned into a fox body in other cultures and other times in typical kind of Western literature. A fox is thought of as clever, helpful, mm -hmm, uh, careful, quiet, you know, so in that culture to be turned into a fox body was not a good thing. So, okay, you're getting the story. So then the story unfolds with multiple layers. And um, the story was being repeated to someone named Master Nan who said hopefully he would have said he does not fall into cause and effect. So Master Nan is suggesting that Bajang should have just given the same words right back to the old man. And those would have been turning words enough. Master Nan, in a way, is saying, "Mm. you just gave him something else to ruminate over for 500 more years by giving him a new answer. Master Nan is saying, you could have just given him back. The same words and that would have released them as well so the story continues bai went into the dharma hall that evening and began to talk to the other people in the hall and gave them the koan he does not fall into cause and effect they are not blind to cause and effect and soon thereafter Uh, It was discovered that there was a dead fox body. Close your ears. It's all right. There was a dead fox body. And so they decided that they would hold a funeral for that fox. What do we make of that part of the story? There's some kind of layer going on there. There was one more interaction that I would like to tell you about in the story, and that is uh, another now we know to be a great teacher named Huang Bo approached. Same dialogue that was does not uh, fall into cause and effect is not blind to cause and effect and Huang Bo asked. An ancient answered a turning word mistakenly. <laughs> so, Wang Bo is telling Bai Zhang that he made a big mistake. And that ancient fell into a fox body for 500 years. <clears throat> what if one is not mistaken turn after turn? Bai Zhang invited Huang Bo forward and said, come here and I'll tell you. And then Huang Bo gave Bai Zhang a slap, and Bai Zhang laughed. <laughs> so, what are the nuances of this story? Let's see if we can pull it apart a little bit without killing it completely. <laughs> there is a, um, there's an entire book about this koan, called. Shifting shape, shifting text, and its philosophy and folklore in the Fox Koan by Stephen Hine goes through this story quite analytically uh, section by section. And uh, Hine comments this way, that there is some level of paradox. So Hines, uh, Hine is now quoting. Dogen, our ancestor, saying, If you express the way only in terms of not falling into causality, that actually is a denial of causality. If you express the way in terms of not obscuring causality, then you have not yet given up your constructs. all of these elders are telling us that if we land on uh, not falling into or being blind to we're kind of missing the point. We're being invited actually to turn again, turn it again, look again. So let's take a look and see if this was just figurative language for a moment. 500 lifetimes of punishment in a fox body, we could say, oh, I understand exactly what that means. I've spent, I personally have spent at least 500 lifetimes in rumination about some mistake that I think I have made. It's easy to spend 500 lifetimes in that space. And everyone, I would bet, knows this experience sometimes one period of zazen or even a part of a period of zazen you know we're talking 30 or 40 minutes actually feels like it goes on for days has anybody had that experience am i the only one no sometimes it just yes sometimes it just goes on and on so it's not hard to imagine 500 lifetimes of rumination going over again and again a mistake that we think we have made right please free me from this rumination so in this story <clears throat> not only was the old man freed from the endless spin allowing him to recognize that it's actually possible to be free of the habitual then Bai zhang enacted it by burying the Fox body really literally put that rumination to rest. And by doing so allowed all of the other people in the Dharma Hall to see that it is actually possible to be freed from those old ruminations that still have us constrained. So I'm coming back now to Dogen for a moment. We have a chant that we do sometimes when we're opening the Dharma talk during sesshin, And it starts this way. And forgive me in advance, it always makes me cry. We vow with all beings from this life on throughout countless lives to hear the true Dharma that upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in us nor will we lack in faith. That upon meeting it, we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma. And that in doing so, the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. So I'll highlight that one line and come back to it in a bit. Denouncing worldly affairs can, be, can sound a little bit like, really, am I supposed to go live in a monastery? No, no, that's not what it's talking about. Dogen here is making reference to, uh, you can be free of the constraints of the habitual, allow yourself to be freed. (laughs) So this demonstration of the funeral with the fox body on behalf of the old man who was freed uh, is an example of uh, just open your hands and walk innocent is another way uh, another chant that we say let go of hundreds of years and relax completely so this is an invitation allow the conditions into which you were born to not define you to not constrain you this is the same as does not fall into causation is not blind to causation and in contemporary times a wise teacher named jane hirschfield has said it something like this Stop arguing with life for being life. Mm -hmm. So when thinking about what is actually an ethical response to the climate crisis, to our social upheaval. I want to say that we actually can't have a formulaic answer in the same way that the old man could not receive a formulaic answer. Because the conditions to which we respond, that are both internal and external, the conditions don't arise formulaically. We cultivate a resilient response, an appropriate response. This is the wisdom of the Buddha's teaching. Drawing on the teachings, uh, if we need them, to get a reality check, to actually see what we're seeing rather than a partial view Mm -hmm. and then to choose based on our vow we vow with all beings from this life on throughout countless lives Mm -hmm. so I'm returning now to uh, Stephen Hine, Mm -hmm. and he poses a question The Fox koan is one of the few cases that explores this basic Buddhist concept. Disdaining formal doctrine by focusing on this one single phrase of not being blind to cause and effect. So the question would be uh, for you. What is your current understanding of cause and effect. And from Stephen Hine. Rewards and punishments or benefits and retribution, as well as the question of transcending causality. Can we actually transcend causality? Not so. We live. We continue to live in the world. And yet, can we uh, see through and perhaps move beyond? this tendency to deal with rewards and punishments or benefits and retribution the Fox body to the old man was a punishment Uh, so in our current thinking ethics do I do what I do in order to be uh, not punished or do I do what I do in order to live consistently with the vow and how would we know Mm. it kind of uh, uh, raises a question in a way Uh, are we doomed in a way (laughs) to cycle through samsara forever and our practice tells us no that we can actually be freed of the constraints So folklore and myths and fables all have something to say about uh, the human sphere, even if the folklore or myths or fables are using animals. There is a wonderful article. Those in practice period may choose to read this. If you would like it, tell me and I will ask you to summarize it to the other people in practice period. But basically, it's uh, it's called Zen and the Art of Storytelling. And it talks about storytelling and story listening as a contribution to moral education. So the possibility of cultivating moral uh, emotions and moral actions. And in many of our stories, it's shown that our practice works at the roots of consciousness kind of below or beyond what words can touch the possibility of bodhicitta lives in this realm below and beyond imputation i would say so storytelling is a viable and i would say a desirable method of moral education at least in part because of this It allows us to get inside the mind and heart of other characters that are not limited by our own minds, you know, and in a well written story. uh, We can hear what the character is thinking in contrast with what another character is thinking we can get inside right and the same event is related from multiple points of view so storytelling in good literature and i would assert that the zen koans that we have access to are all pointing us at uh, this moral education that is uh, under and beyond words uh, allowing our bodhicitta to find itself (laughs) by expanding our view We can see most of the time that suffering of any kind is based on uh, a false belief. You know, we have life shoots us arrows, we have pain. And then as Catherine used to speak about it, there is the dilemma of the second arrow, the second arrow that we might shoot into ourselves. And this is what we would call suffering, right? So we can see in the case of the old man at the beginning of the story that the suffering of rumination thinking that he had made a mistake uh, is what caused him to feel kind of um, I would express it as downtrodden and at odds looking to be released so that false belief is the imputation or the belief in separation where there actually is none. As if an awakened person could be, uh, could not live in the realm of cause and effect. How could that be? So, one of our ancients, Nagarjuna, spoke it as Nirvana is samsara. Equated the two but went on to explain that it is samsara without imputation. Nirvana is samsara without imputation. Without, we could say in contemporary terms, without adding the second arrow, without adding layers of suffering, without uh, ruminating on the life being life. (laughs) So how do we respond to the cries of the world? I'll bring us uh, briefly to the Eightfold Path because this is our core teaching, right? There are the Four Noble Truths and the Four Noble Truths as we've heard them multiple times. there There is suffering and there is a cause of this suffering. That cause is clinging. So the way to end our suffering is to end clinging. Those three of the noble truths were contemporary Buddha's time uh, just commonly held. This is the way life works. And so all of the ascetic practices, for example, were designed to allow people to um, escape clinging. But as we know, the Buddha landed on what we now call the middle way. Extreme asceticism wasn't so helpful and extreme privilege also was not so helpful so something in between something called the middle way so the buddha's innovation was the eightfold path and the eightfold path then of course as you know begins with right view i want to talk briefly about the word right and then offer us a way to work with view in a way that will help us understand ethics and morality. So right uh, literally translates from the original as proper or whole or thorough or integral or complete. So this kind of right is not contrasted with wrong. because if it's contrasted with wrong, it sends a, an inaccurate message, actually. So, uh, I would rather use uh, right to mean integral or wholesome or inclusive. <clears throat> so, if we have an integral view uh, or an inclusive view or a wholesome view, and we're able to line up our behavior with that wholesome view, the activity of our body mind is naturally in accord with the conditions because the response to the conditions will include the conditions (laughs) naturally in accord. This is what I would assert is moral behavior, ethical behavior. If, however, we choose to stick to a limited view, a positional view, uh, my way is the right way, for example, really the only possibility is causing more separation where there wasn't any to begin with. As usual, I have far over prepared for this for this evening. I think I will carry some of this content forward into our Sashin, Dharma talks for Sashin. But maybe we can have some conversations about uh, stories that you were told that actually offered you some ethical or moral guidance, ways in which you understand this Fox Koan to say, ah, not blind to cause and effect is ever so subtly different from uh, not falling into cause and effect and yet if we hold each one either one of those as a so-called right answer correct answer we're kind of missing the point because the invitation is to turn it again and again meeting the present conditions you know just to repeat that we can't have a formulaic response because the conditions of life don't come at us in a formulaic way Mm -hmm. so maybe that's a logical place to close we'll move into um, our closing chant and some announcements and then Foxbody and I will stick around for a while to respond to you. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it.